Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. I think that's recording. Yeah, I think so. Ah, All right, I've been rushing this morning. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for this morning and for the chance to come to your scriptures to consider uh, more of you, to teach us, to instruct our hearts. Would you give us wisdom and also give us patience? We pray for the parents in this room, all of us, who are in such great need of your guidance, your patience, and most of all, your wisdom and the raising of our children. Would Would you give us the ability and the wisdom to be able to focus on the things that truly matter in the raising of our children? While at the same time, let us be very grateful that you have entrusted our children to our care. Thank you for letting us become parents, uh, for organizing a family that we might uh, be a part of, and uh, for ultimately pointing to the family of God that our, our children, along with us, are to represent. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's get started. Um, I'm going to admit up front that this lesson is a bit of a hodgepodge of a lesson. They've got some leftover junk drawer parts I wanted to throw in here. Didn't know quite where to fit them all in. I think I've kind of stuck, stuck them in there correctly, and they should fit fairly well as we go forward. Uh, but, you know, we're going to hit some leftovers from some past lessons that we've gone through. Uh, and then uh, sort of reinforce those along the way. And then I also want to introduce a, a little a new kind of concept that that uh, is something that was kind of underlying this entire thing, but I want to give it a formal name. We're going to call it formative instruction. Why do we call it that? Because that's what Ted and Margie Tripp provide us. Yes, we're going to introduce another Tripp family member to this entire mix. It's not just Paul and Ted. Uh, We're going to actually introduce you to Margie, Ted's wife, as well. But uh, next week, just as a thing of uh, preview of coming attractions, next week Jeff Solman is going to fill in for me. Geneva, I texted him about that, and I told him I let him know, but he's not in here when I said he's going to teach now, so make sure he knows he's on for next week. Okay, good. He's prepared. Good, 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 good. I'll, uh, I'll probably be here. He always has something to say. Um, I'll probably be here. I've got an obligation early in the morning, plus we've got two performances of uh, Peter Pan next week that my kids are a part of, and I'm traveling to New Jersey and back, so... Uh, I don't think it's just in the cards for me to put a lesson together. So, Jeff, you're on for sure next week. Okay. Thanks, for, thanks for filling in for that. Uh, I asked Jeff to, early on to provide uh, a lesson on what if we do everything right in parenting and things still don't turn out right? Uh, that's, that should be an intriguing uh, headline for you to come back next week to see what he says about that. Uh, we're not guaranteed to have a right outcome. We're just required to follow the principles that the scriptures have given to us to follow. And, and Jeff, I think he's going to be very helpful in uh, plotting that course for us. So what happens if we do everything right in parenting and things still don't turn out right? You want to know the answer to that? Jeff's going to fill that in next week uh, as expertly as he does. But this morning, I want to walk through a real-life scenario that occurred this week or at least that I saw this week, and I want us to, to use it to help think through what do we do with some of these tougher questions of parenting. When, when things are hard, what are our default responses, and what should be our default responses when things are difficult when it comes to parenting? Uh, and then I want to quickly turn, as I said before, into a concept called formative instruction. I think it's a, a kind of a middle category that we've left out. It's stated there, but it's been sort of hiding underneath the surface, and I think you'll see where it fits in. But let's dive into that real-life scenario. Uh, I I live in a homeowners association, and our homeowners association has the wonderful benefit of a Facebook page. So I don't know, some uh, thousand-member homeowners association has uh, this this Facebook page filled with all kinds of things on the post, right? You have recommendation from plumbers and lawn care people. Uh, They also have... 
I think probably 85% of the posts on there involve a missing pet of some sort. <laughs> My very favorite one happened a week or two ago where there was a picture of a dog. It was underneath the front end of a car. It looked like the car was running, or just like zoomed in. So it looked like the car was running over the dog. And it said, is anybody missing your pup? Here he is. Like, don't let him out of your house because I'm going to run over him. I pinned him to the ground. It was hilarious to look at. People have some unintended funny moments on those things. And frankly, there's sometimes just, you know, they kind of bang your head against the wall about, oh my goodness, they live among us kind of things here as we're watching some of these uh, some of these uh, posts on these Facebook page. But I happened to catch a post this week on this HOA page that got my attention, and it has some relevance to this class. It's uh, It also, at the same time, kind of saddened me that the post even exists. So let, let me just kind of give you the entire post. I'll read the entire thing that was written by a dad on the neighborhood Facebook page Here's the entire question of the entire post, and, and then there was, there's been so far 32 comments to this particular post. He says this, Does anyone know of any preschools in the area that help with four-year-old kids that are dealing with behavioral issues? You can see immediately why I'd be intrigued. Right? We've been talking about behavior modification all the way through here and whether or not that's a good kind of thing or not. He continues, I have tried regular preschools, and they cannot seem to handle him. Is there anywhere that can help us make a breakthrough with him? Currently, my wife has had to adjust to working from home full-time to accommodate him during the week because he gets kicked out of anywhere we try. Does anyone know where we can turn as she has to go back to the office? That's the entire post. And there's a lot in that paragraph. By the way, if this just somehow randomly happens to be you, I love you and I want to care with you and I want to talk to you more. I don't think that person's in this room. I hope not. If you happen to know this guy, I'd love to talk to him too. But uh, I don't mean to be critical of the person. Um, I know there's a difficult scenario going on there. I think it would be discouraging for anybody to send their kid to a preschool and have him be kicked out, as I learned later on in the comments, four different times from different preschools. I mean, this, this is a tough scenario that they're, they're facing. They've got clear behavioral issues that are, I'm sure, weighing them down mightily. Uh, and I would assume to get to the point of posting this question on a community Facebook page, you've had to go through a lot of other things to get to the point of seeking groupthink, right? So there, I have a lot of sympathy for the person making the comment, all right? So even though what follows is going to be critical of what's being said here, and especially the advice that's being offered, I, I don't want you to lose the fact that I have empathy and sympathy for the man, right? There, there's some difficulty that is there. But I want to break down sort of the essence of this scenario. Here we have a son. Uh, to this father. He's four years old. Both parents appear to work. And the four-year-old has been sent to multiple preschools and they say, quote, they cannot seem to handle him. He's been kicked out of multiple preschools. The situation now is dire because she, his wife, has to go back to the office. Uh, that's kind of the scenario that we're, we're facing here. So let me kind of put a few things on the table just to kind of get these out of the way as sort of ground rules or, or whatever that we have to kind of uh, qualify before we get into this discussion. I said, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be critical of preschools in this discussion. That, that's not my intention, nor am I critical of parents who choose to utilize preschools. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I've got my own opinions about those, as I'm sure you do. Uh, this isn't the venue to offer my opinion on preschools, over homeschooling, over private schooling, over daycare, over whatever it is. I, I'm not here to advocate one way or another. That I'm just offering to you this, the scenario that's been put in front of us based upon this important element of the uh, Facebook page in, in front of us. And, and I also don't mean to be overly critical of these individual parents, as I've already said. I, I'm not trying to make their plight somehow... Uh, or to use their plight to somehow make a passive-aggressive comment, uh, a point about someone maybe even in this room. 
you should know me well enough by now that I don't do much passive aggressively. I mean, if there's anything, we leave off the passive side of that, and I'm just purely aggressive on the point, right? I don't do that kind of thing. That's not my style, and it's not my intention here either. But as we turn to the comments of this post in a second, you're going to find that I am very critical of several areas of the, quote, advice that's being offered. And that is true. I do mean to be critical of the advice that's being offered here. But there's not, it's not as if these, this advice is completely devoid of any value. There is actually value in what's being offered. But the point that I'm trying to drive at, the point that I would even bring this to our attention to spend 50-ish minutes talking about today, is to illustrate for you and I how a total reliance upon the areas of advice that are offered here, how they all miss a very critical point that is the center point of what we've been talking about now for, what, 14, 15 weeks. And that critical point that they are missing, even as they try to address all the other behavioral issues that are there, is none of them have any concern for or get to the issue of the heart of the child. They all are either oblivious, ignorant to it, or willfully choose to ignore the core problem that is underlying the issue of this child's behavior, and that is the child's heart. Or if that is actually being adjusted for, is never mentioned in any of the posts by the father, by the mother, by the people who are advising uh, the parents on Facebook. What's missing in this dad's comment, and it's completely absent in the groupthink responses that follow, is any effort, it appears, to approach the heart of the child, to get behind the behavior and shepherd this child in the behavior, uh, or at least the symptoms that are reflected in the behavior of the heart itself. So I hope that this is merely an oversight that is hidden through the impersonal medium that is social media. Nonetheless, I, I am fairly confident that many of us find ourselves in similar situations. It may not be that our kid is being kicked out of preschools all over the place at four years of age, but my fear is that we have sort of default methods of dealing with parenting issues that all tend to address the issue of behavior for a moment, but fail to get to that important element of addressing the heart. And all of us have this blind spot. My, my curiosity is whether or not we default to the right thing or not. And I, I want to kind of move our default standards. Uh, I, I've been listening a little bit to some parenting discussions, even within the church body. And I have some concerns that there are some among us. I don't mean that to be kind of a scary thing, but I think we have some defaults that may not be exactly what, our, uh, what, what the scriptures are telling us to be defaulting towards. And I think they're somewhat reflected in this situation. So let's Let's take a look at these comments and let's figure out whether or not we have fall into one of those categories and if there's some adjustments we need to make along the way. All right, so here's, let me take the most absurd piece of advice that was offered first, or at least I consider the most absurd piece of advice, and I'll tell you why in a moment here, and it's not kind of the most obvious thing, and look, I'm going to open up all kinds of cans of worms today, or at least get really close to those cans of worms, so just be careful, and just bear with me and be patient with me, okay? Here's the first comment that I, th I thought was rather ridiculous. He's, and the commenter in full says this, I encourage you to Google the effects of red dye in children. Try to cut that out for a week and see if there's a difference. Red dye is, big letters, so much but could help you out. Is in so much but could help you out. I like healthy food, all right? Like I, I really enjoy good food. I don't really like processed food. Okay, I really do like processed food, but I know it's not good for me. I, but, you know, it, I'd like to try to eat lean and healthy if I could. That's not the point of this whole thing. I, you don't want to cut out red dye? God bless you. Go for it. I, I, I have, there is nothing in Scripture that says you should or should not have red dye in your children's food. I don't care if you want to have it in your food or not. Drink all as, uh, as much of that as you want. 
don't drink it. I don't care. Eat only things that you grow or not. I just, I just don't care. That's not the point of the post. The reason I consider this to be the most absurd piece of advice of the bad advice that's on this post is the default perspective that this, this commenter brings. And you should know what that is by now, given the openings to most of my comments in this class, right? The default position for this person is to encourage this dad to turn to Google. Look, I, I am a quick draw on Google myself, right? If there's something that needs to be found out, my family will tell you that I, I view it as a little point of privilege that I can find the answer on Google before any of them can find it, right? And I, I, I like Google. Google provides us a lot of good things, even as awful as they are in terms of like reading your emails and invading your privacy and all those discussions that we could have as well. That's all fine, well and good. But Google is a really awful, terrible, no good place to turn when it comes to questions about parenting. It just is. It's a terrible spot for us to turn for questions about parenting. And again, how often have we turned in this class to look at really bad advice for parenting from Google? We've seen that over and over again. Google, as wonderful a tool as it is, has never parented a child. It may be the best AI that is out there, but it has no idea how to parent your child. At best, it can provide you some human wisdom, but it is not divine as much as it seems to know everything about you anyway. It's not divine. It may house books and books of wisdom, but none of those, well, at least not directly, are inspired. Google is not your kid's parent. Don't be a Google parent and instead find a human connection somewhere. Uh, find a community that is willing to walk alongside of you in your parenting. Those of us who are here have at least this community. There are other ones that are of great value as well, but the church is a wonderful community to have for lots of reasons that I had wanted to get into in this lesson, but they didn't fit in my lesson, so I'll have to save that for another time. Find someone, in other words, who is real to talk to. Google is not real. It is a great tool, but it is not the tool. Even if red dye were a part of this kid's problem, even if we limit red dye from the planet, I'm willing to bet a substantial amount of money that his bad behavior, if it is bad behavior, will manifest itself again because the red dye driven behavior is not the problem. The heart is the problem. And yet we have way too many parents defaulting to Google to tell us get rid of the red dye or the yellow dye number five or whatever it is that is out there that is the big boogeyman this, in this generation to get rid of those things. No amount of clean eating, no amount of Google advice is going to address a child's heart. It won't happen. It takes instead patient, insightful parenting coupled with a whole bunch of prayer and a whole lot of sweat effort to reach into a child's heart, to understand the motivating sin that is pent up inside that child and then to, to work diligently to draw that heart to the righteousness of Christ who will change that child's heart. That's the hard work of parenting. You want to engage in sissy parenting? Google it every time, right? But parenting ain't for sissies. This is hard work for us to do. Uh, you can't do all these things. You can't do the things that we're commanded to do 
with a quick Google search. It takes time, it takes care, it takes attention, it takes personal interaction. It takes time for you to study your child, to love your child, to show the affection to your child that Google can provide. It takes trial and error in the parenting efforts themselves. It takes face-to-face communication, and that's not face-to-face through a computer medium. It actually takes that uninterrupted, unblocked type of face-to-face communication. It takes time on your knees in prayer. It takes tears. It takes sweat. It takes a whole bunch more. But it doesn't necessarily take Google as helpful of a tool as that could be. Google is not a parent, and its parenting advice is almost always awful. So stop being a Google parent. I think we all have to ask ourselves if we default, at least in some measure, to seeking out wisdom from Google in our parenting. Why do we do that? Because it's really simple. I don't have to go to someone and say, I'm struggling to be a parent. In other words, confessing I don't feel like I'm a good parent. I can secretly do that on Google, and nobody will know. No one will cast a a square eye at me. That's hard. It's really difficult for me to go to Asvani and say, Asvani, I'm struggling with how to be patient with my son. Can you help me somehow? It takes me humbling myself to go to him to say, I'm I'm struggling in this area of my parenting. And for Asvani, as judgmental as he is, not to judge me for being a bad parent. It's really difficult for us to do that. But guys, that's what God has commanded us, has called us to do. We're put inside of this community, inside of a church Christian community, for a purpose. To shoulder one another's burdens when it becomes difficult. Do you think that that excludes the time when it becomes parenting? Of course not. We don't don't end the Christian community at the point of parenting. We just kind of begin it. So don't, don't default to Google. That wasn't the only advice. That was just, I thought, kind of the worst advice that's out there. And hopefully none of us are addicted to Googling as parents. But it happens. And I, I want to encourage you to, to, to walk away from that. Several posted comments on that post as well that pointed to the school district. That was the second kind of most common thread on this whole thing. And their suggestion is to have the professionals in the public school system evaluate the child and propose a plan to address the cognitive faculties of the child and the behavioral characteristics and all the things that go along with all that. That's fine. There, there's, there is value in this. And, and I think there is real value in, in doing some of that. Uh, our public education system has a whole bunch of resources. Uh, They they include a bevy of professionals who are tasked with evaluating children. Uh, They have the, uh, to figure out how they do learn and their ability to learn and how that is kind of hindered in in the learning process. It provides uh, an individualized resource for each one of the kids to have uh, within that kind of collective setting to be able to address what they believe are the behavioral impediments to a child's education. There's a lot of benefit to that. Uh, And and look, again, this is not a situation in which I'm saying public school, yay, homeschooling, nay, or homeschooling, yay, public school is bad. You know, this it's not the setting. It's not what I'm trying to, to provide here. My criticism of this advice, though, and I do have criticism, it's not at the aimed at the education system itself. My, my criticism is purely at the level of pointing or, or perhaps punting to the education system for parenting advice. The default standard here for this person may not be to Google and get rid of red dye. The, the, the default standard for this person is, let me figure out what the school system says about this. Let me, let me, tell, let me have somebody else tell me. I'm going to give it to the experts over there in the education system. Well, as valuable as the public education system may be, and I do think it has value, with as many resources as it certainly has to bring a bear, to bear upon a child, Should one of our default reactions be to take a four-year-old kid to the experts of a public school for evaluation? I'm not so sure. Are are school officials able to present a plan that gets to the heart of your child? 
No. They've got other really beneficial resources that are very good for things. Their plan may work at some level to address behavior, perhaps even identify certain traits of behavior and even capacities or lack of capacity that is, is present in a child. And perhaps they can provide some modified uh, experiences to make a child's behavior at least come to heal for a little while so they don't get kicked out of a fifth preschool. You know, there's, there are things that are very beneficial within that. But as excellent as school officials may be, they will not invest the time because they don't have to and they don't want to and nor are they trained to. They will not invest the time to get to your child's heart. And by the way, if they are investing the time to get to your child's heart, I'd be even more wary of that, right? You should use resources like the school system for what they are useful for, but remember that you are the parent, not the school. Don't concede your uh, God-given duty as a parent to be their first teacher. Uh, God has not given your children to hand over to someone else for the raising. He's given them to you. He's provided you the authority to raise your children. And furthermore, though your children owe a duty of obedience to rightful authorities placed in their lives, and I would include among them teachers and administrators and things like that, their primary duty as children, their primary duty of obedience is to be rendered to uh, the authority that God has placed in their lives, the primary authority that God has placed in their lives. And we've already discussed this. That's you. That's Ephesians 5 again. That's reminding us that these are the things that God has put into the lives of our children. That we, we ourselves owe a duty of obedience to God. God has given to us a family unit. Inside that family unit are a mom and a dad. They owe a duty of mutual submission to one another. There's a complementarity there. There's a long discussion to be had there that we haven't addressed. But below that, there is the duty of obedience of children obeying their parents and the Lord for this is right. And it has a divine promise that has a divine reward that goes with that, that life will go well with them. They will have a, a long life on this earth. That's, that's not available to you from a school system. It may go well with you temporally for a little while, but ultimately it's not going to go well with you over time in life unless you are obedient to the parents that are put inside your life, unless the parents are willing to get to the heart of the child. Be very careful that you do not concede to education experts or really any other expert. Uh, the authority that God has rightly placed in your hands. He, he did not provide school officials with the rod and the staff meant to comfort your child through the valley of the shep, shep, shadow of death. He, he's given those to you to shepherd the heart of your child through that very valley. And that's also true of the medical profession. And, and that was another significant category of the post uh, in response to, to this, uh, this father. Um, the, the, one commenter suggested taking the child uh, to, his, to the child's doctor. Another one said you should go see a psychologist. And yet another suggested that a child be entered into what's called play therapy. I got to admit, I, I have no idea what play therapy is, although I, I find it to sound a whole lot more enjoyable than any physical therapy I've ever had. It sounds like that could be a lot of fun, right? Uh, and here again, there, there's probably a whole lot of value here. Uh, frankly, if anything in my sore, aching body could be remedied by play therapy, I want to seize it. I think that sounds like a great idea. And, and perhaps, uh, you know, look, I, I'm not saying, well, actually, I'm going to say it the other way. I think doctors provide a tremendous value in our community. In fact, I've seen quite a few of them, probably too many of them in my lifetime. Uh, I think there's good things for, for us to be had in counseling and psychological services as well. These are all accounting for the effects of the fall in our lives. This is, this is a good thing for us. But I think there's also some problems here, and this is why you're not surprised that I'm being critical of this piece of advice. Medication, counseling, even play therapy, these are really poor substitutes for shepherding the heart of our child. 
And if we default to them, if we rely solely upon them as the thing that will improve our child's behavior and ultimately turn out a great kid, well, at best, they may aid at the margins of our child's needs. But if we, really, if we rely upon them to shape the, a child's heart, to train them in the way that he should go, we are going to be sorely disappointed in the end. Uh, there are real needs for medical and psychological intervention in the lives of our children, and we rightly utilize the medical community. Uh, and, and we need to utilize the medical community and the psychological community, at least to a degree. I think we should be, be careful and mindful of some pitfalls that are present in all of that reliance. That's just human wisdom. But medical professionals, psychological professionals, counselors, they're not your child's parents. They are one more tool to perhaps be used in the overall parenting of our children. Uh, goodness knows we've had to use at least one medical professional to the tune of several tens of thousands of dollars just for their stinking teeth, right? I mean, there, there's good things to be used here in the medical community. Uh, they may medicate behavior or they may provide therapy that yields some measure of adjustment to a child's behavior, but no amount of medication, no amount of play therapy is going to change a child's heart. It just doesn't happen. There, there's no Rx for that. There's no prescription for it. So the last area of response to this parent's question was, was uh, in the category of behavior modification. And you should know how I feel about that by this point. But they didn't actually even try to hide that with some sort of euphemism uh, on the page. Uh, one person announced uh, before offering her, her grand wisdom here, I, I thought this was sort of interesting. I don't go about on Facebook pages personally saying, well, as a constitutional attorney, I educated people. I, like, I, don't, I don't list out my degrees. I don't list out my bar admissions. I, and I've got a lot of them, so I, but I don't do that. Like, and I, maybe some of you didn't even know I was an attorney. I try not to play that up too much. Like, it's just, I, I don't go around wearing that on my sleeve. But this person goes onto the page and lists her credentials immediately. And she says, as a board-certified behavior analyst i got to be honest with you, I did not even know you could actually be board certified in behavior analysis, analysis. Uh, okay, well, fine, others pointed to a local group here called Beyond the Behavior, and they, they found that to be a tool that's useful to this child, or it could be useful to this child. Uh, look, even if it's board certified, it's unlikely that any type of behavior modification is going to be able to shepherd your child's heart. I don't think that my, my, I don't, I don't know what's involved with getting board certified as a behavior analyst. I just don't think that it actually involves anything having to do with shepherding your child's heart. I just don't think that's on the exam question at all, right? It may address some of the behavior problems that this parent is facing. It may, in fact, help the child deploy, uh, and this is borrowing from the Beyond the Child or Beyond the Behaviors website, necessary communication, social play, and life skills that they need. There's a lot of value in that. And, and, and again, I, if, it's, it's, if it's helpful as a tool, there's nothing in Scripture that says don't use this. I'm just telling you that at the end of the day, it's not the ultimate use of our parenting, certainly not our ultimate responsibility in parenting. Behavior modification in our children at best, is incomplete. Our duty doesn't end once we've modified their behavior perfectly. They could, be, they could become board certified in their own behavior analysis. That doesn't change the need of their heart. Our duty in parenting goes well beyond controlling behavior. Our goal in parenting is not to have well-adjusted children who are not kicked out of preschool or any other school for that matter, our goal in parenting is to have sons and daughters grow to become our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's our goal in parenting. And no board-certified analyst is going to be able to help that out at all. And that's your default. Well, then you're going to help your kid, at least for a while. 
but you're not going to get to the thing that God is telling us to get to, which is the heart of our children. Yeah, we can take advantage, and we should take advantage of the various methods that are available to us to rein in our child's behavior. There's good in that. But if you're going to constantly be chasing behavior, I'm telling you, that's a parenting treadmill that you can't get off of. And you're not going to be able to keep up with the speed either. My encouragement to you as parents is if you're on that parenting treadmill, you know that little uh, thing you're supposed to clip to your shirt or something like that that hits the kill switch? Just yank that thing right now. Get Get off the parenting treadmill. If you're constantly chasing behavior, get off of that behavior train, that treadmill, as quick as you can. Instead, begin to identify the heart issues that drive the behavior that you're witnessing in your kid. Some of these tools that we've listed may in fact be very useful in addressing those symptoms that are reflective of the underlying disease located in the heart, but they're just addressing symptoms. They're gonna come back unless you start addressing that heart issue. Tools are very, very helpful, but they're only helpful for the right job, right? You're not gonna use a sledgehammer to, to hang a picture on the wall. You're gonna end up driving a hole in your wall and having to have a whole different set of problems to address. Use the tool for the right thing. If you're defaulting to Google for advice, if you're handing your children off to educational professionals, if you're stuck in the medication loop, or you're always employing a new, latest, greatest method of behavior modification technique, can I just encourage you to step back from all of that? If that's where all your default is right now, or in any one of those categories, push back from that table for a second. And let me encourage you instead to try shepherding the child's heart instead. Pick that tool up. That's a really difficult skill. I recognize that. It's hard to do this work. But if anything's hard, it's got to be worth doing. And this one is ultimately the best thing for us to be doing with our kids. What really saddened me about this Facebook post was what was actually missing from it, not was what was being offered to it. What was, was most sad was what was missing there. there. There was no reference at all in any of those 32 different posts replying to that guy. There's no reference at all to what I've come to lovingly call here the gray hairs, right? There was no appeal to grandma. There was no suggestion to go to talk to see what grandma would have done in this situation. There was no suggestion that, you know, uh, go, go talk to people who've been through this before and see what their advice might be. Uh, there was no, um, maybe there were some aged folks that were actually offering their thoughts that, you know, they're kind of these blind avatars on, on a page. So I, I don't know exactly how many gray hairs were there uh, offering th- this advice, but, but no one suggested bringing grandma over to evaluate the child for red dye intake or play therapy. Like that didn't exist on the page. Uh, the default was instead to Google, to cart a child to a litany of appointments with analysts and counselors and medical professionals. And don't forget, this kid was four years old. Also missing there was any reference to spiritual care. No one suggested taking a child to church. No one suggested a few more hours on the knees in prayer. Now, again, I, I don't know, that, and I know skeptically, the, the, the world's going to look at that and say, you're going to try to hit your knees in prayer to somehow uh, talk to some invisible life force out in the universe to correct your child's behavior. Yeah, I am. I, and I do think that that is beneficial because I think it, it veils a whole lot of things when we bend our knee in prayer and submission to God's authority in our, our lives and in our children's lives. And furthermore, I'm going to do that in front of my kids so they know that I think that I am under that authority and that I think he is the one that is more important than any medical professional that is out there. It's not in place of medical professionals. I think those are very helpful to us. But ultimately, 
there was no suggestion of getting involved in, in any kind of religious behavior, any kind of religious community. The entirety of the care suggested was individualistic to that child. Beyond learning to adjust to society, there was no suggestion that the child and his family should join any kind of a community, uh, beyond perhaps the play therapy community, right? There, there, was, uh, there was no point for them to enter with a community in which they could be cared for or walked with or encouraged to look beyond themselves. There was no effort in that. Friends, you've been put inside of a body of Christ, and that grace in your life is more beneficial to you than you may realize. God has given you a local, localized group of believers who have the same failures that you have in parenting and in life. And they have the same goal that you have in all of life, which is to be obedient to Christ. Utilize this community. And I don't mean that in a perfunctory way. Get your hands dirty in the lives of others. Find out what's happening in the lives of others. Not just physically caring for them, that is of great importance. But get into their lives about what's happening, what are you struggling with today in parenting? That's hard, if you come up to me after the service and ask me what I'm struggling with in parenting, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm so arrogant and so hard-nosed, I'm not going to tell you the truth, right? You're going to have to spend several months walking alongside of me to get me to open up like that. Now, some of you are uh, an open book, and God love you. I, I'm so impressed that people are able to do that. That's just not who I am. I'm really difficult to do that. And I'm not saying that as patting myself on the back here. I'm saying that's a detriment to me, right? That's not good for me. But get into the lives of other people. Learn to walk alongside of people. There's no advice to, uh, uh, given to, to get into a, a church or other religious community. Also missing from there, and, and perhaps most painfully for me, there was no advice, no, no encouragement, to the parents. Now, and there was some tacit uh, encouragement. Hey, this is tough. You're going to make it through or that kind of thing. But no one happened to turn the mirror back to the parents themselves. No one happened to turn this around and say, look at yourself, right? That, that didn't happen. Yeah, the, the keyboard warriors that were quick to point out, uh, they, they pointed to a whole bunch of experts to somebody outside of the parents and the family unit themselves. But the underlying assumption was that these parents, they weren't the experts of their own child. They needed to go find that somewhere else. I, look, I just think that's, that's just false. These parents could not be viewed as the experts of their child in the eyes of the people that were commenting to this. After all, this dad was not, quote, board certified in parenting. So how could he possibly be an expert, right? And worse, the post itself revealed a real conflict in parenting. The dad needed advice for a preschool that could corral his child because work conflicted with parenting. Uh, in, in fact, it was the child's behavior that was proving most difficult for them to be able to go to work. This is tough. If I haven't stepped on toes yet, we're going to start slamming down on a bunch of them right now. And I, 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 I love you guys, so don't, don't read this too much, right? Just be careful here. Walk with me. Uh, they couldn't park their child at a preschool or a daycare and get to the office. Those were mutually exclusive that they couldn't be worked in together. They needed the preschool, they need the daycare, they need the, the separation in order for both of them to get into the office. Uh, they couldn't even work from home adequately with the poorly behaved child interrupting the workflow of the mother. I don't know where the dad works, that wasn't part of the post, don't care. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I just don't even know if they even asked the question to themselves, to each other. Do we both need to be at the office? Do we both need to work? We learned in Deuteronomy 6, and this is why I'm bringing this, this up here. We learned in Deuteronomy 6 that we are to teach diligently to our children that which God has commanded us. 
Our diligent efforts are to be accomplished when we rise, when we walk by the way, when we go to sleep, when we lie around the house. You remember this, right? As we explained, it, that's, that's all encompassing, encompassing. It takes all of life to do that. Uh, parenting in this way is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. It's also very exhausting. It's hard to do. It would be ideal if neither parent ever had to leave their child to earn a living. I, I would love to live in the land of pride and prejudice where no one goes to work. They all just have infinite amounts of money and can go to whatever parties. But that doesn't exist right now, right? And that, that's also fantasy fiction. That's not true. It's not reality. It may reflect some reality, but it's not. People had money somehow. As you approach parenting, the further we get away from this ideal of mom and dad together with the kids 24 hours a day, the further we get away from that, the harder our duty to teach them diligently that which God has commanded us, the harder that becomes. It becomes very difficult. And my point is, is certainly not to command you to be a one-income family. I, I don't have that authority. I wouldn't exercise it if I did. Right? Uh, instead, I'm, I'm simply trying to challenge the assumption that our society as a whole makes that we should assume that both parents will always be in the workforce at the expense of our children. I, I, I understand needs may arise. But even when needs arise, I think it's important for us to stop and say, what's our default here? What, what, what's important here? Is the two incomes really that important? Is the career, the accolades that come with that, is that critical? Why did God give us these, these kids? After repeatedly trying different preschools without success, perhaps our friend asking the question on Facebook would just do as well to evaluate with his spouse whether their child just needs the presence of a parent in the home. I don't know. And that's what ultimately made me the most sad. Uh, we shouldn't default to Google for parenting advice. We shouldn't default to someone else raising a child entrusted, that God has entrusted to our care. We should be the ones that are driving that instruction and that care for our kids. All right, I know I've stepped on a lot of toes. Let me, let me quickly go through what I call formative instruction. And, and this kind of meshes well with what we've just been talking about. Ted Tripp and his wife Margie, they wrote a book called Instructing a Child's Heart because, you know, the A Child's Heart series seems to be selling well from shepherding the child's heart. Now they go to instructing the child's heart. And frankly, they rehash a lot of what's already in Ted's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. But one thing that was in that book and then uh, kind of explicitly given a title in uh, uh, Instructing the Child's Heart is this idea of the concept of formative instruction. Uh, and, and I might put that in the sort of the middle category between uh, controlling behavior, which we talked about the need to do in order to provide for their safety and all the things that are necessary to provide instruction, but also uh, on the other side of that, the, the physical discipline that's necessary, the corrective behavior, that, uh, the, the corrective actions and parenting that needs to take place as well. There's that middle category. What, what's, what's happening between those two poles of, of correcting the behavior and disciplining the behavior? There's, there's something going on in between all of that. Well, that's formative instruction. As, as, the, as the trips define it, they say it is before the problem instruction. It's focusing on interpreting and responding to life in biblical ways. It is, as the trips say, the foundation for corrective discipline, or what we call physical discipline. It creates the structure for that corrective discipline. It's based on the instructions of Deuteronomy 6 and calls parents to, and again I'm quoting from the trips, to provide an interpretive lens through which your child can learn to see the world. Hold the prism of God's world up to the light of ordinary living so that it diffuses into a rich spectrum of biblical color that dazzles and shows the glory of God in ordinary life. That's formative 
instruction. And as I've been listening recently to some uh, just chatter, even amongst this community, thinking through this class with me, hearing what parents are attempting in their parenting, especially our younger parents, I wonder if we need to contemplate this idea of formative instruction a little bit more deeply, which is why I raise it here. What I fear is that we resort way too quickly to corrective uh, physical discipline when we haven't taken the time to engage in the formative instruction. That's the parenting thing that gets us, that gets all the headlines, this, the corrective discipline, the physical the spanking, right? That's the thing that grabs the attention of everybody. But we, we sort of forget that's really critical. That's really important. And we spent two whole weeks talking about physical discipline in this course, and I could spend more probably talking about it. But the parents seeking to provide biblical parenting has more tools at their disposal than just the rod of discipline. There's a lot more to it. Formative instruction has at its core the revelation of God's glory in the lives of our children. Here's what the trips say. This is a lovely passage. They say this, God has designed the whole world to be a place where his glory is revealed. He has made a world with stones and buildings and sand and roads and paths and rivers and seas and boats and clouds and rain and storms and snow and lightning and mountains and deserts and valleys and bears and cubs and snakes and cattle and sheep and trees and grass and flowers and food and water and sleep and sleeplessness and sickness and tears and health and strength and arms and hands and feet and eyes and ears and heads and bodies and life and death. He's done this in order to display his glories to us. Everything in creation leads to God. Every opportunity to talk infuses life with an understanding that the ways, the world, the ways and words of God are everything. Biblical parenting is seizing these opportunities that God has provided to us in the ordinary things to display the extraordinary glory of God. We're giving our children that interpretive lens of life that they did not come to this world with uh, to show that this child is neither the center of the universe, is not the center of the universe, but is no less a valued creation of an infinite God, that is part of our job in formative instruction. Recognizing that our child's value, uh, that, that the child's value in place in this universe before a holy God, there is right and there is wrong, and a parent's job is to align the child's heart with that which is right and just and true as defined by the guy who created the entire thing. We should spend much of our time with our children looking beyond themselves and beyond their home to, to the magnificent glory of God that's on display throughout all of creation. This is really helpful to them to form in them a delight for this unseen world, a way to view the world as the creator views it himself. Our children have arrived in this world without this interpretive lens. We must provide it for them. Our duty is to help them make sense of the world as it really is and the way that God intends for it to be. This means demonstrating the glory of God and his kingdom to them while also providing them a redemptive framework with which to view it as well. Uh, we want our children to be curious about why we shape our lives around delighting in the glory of God. That's what Moses explained to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6. We've already seen some of that in the first part of Deuteronomy 6. But then Moses goes on to answer the why question. Why should we teach them diligently the things that God has commanded us? At the end of Deuteronomy 6, in, in, the, in, chapter, in uh, verses 20 to 25, he says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were the Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders and great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his house 
apostle before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all that this commandment, all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. In other words, when, we, when, when our children ask us, why should they obey God? Why should they obey you in your parenting? Why serve God? Why be a part of his community in the church body here? Why follow the commands of scripture when the world around us is doing whatever they want to do and seemingly having a far better time of it than we are? Why do all those things? We are to tell them because God has brought redemption to this family. He could have left us in our sins. He could have left us to rot under this burdensome approach, uh, this burdensome hand of Pharaoh, but he has been so very good to us instead. Uh, more, he has purchased our salvation with his blood. Uh, what else would we want to do knowing that our deepest joy is found in loving God and obeying all of his commands? That's the framework we have to instill in our children in all of life. All of life, then, is to be interpreted through this redemptive framework, which we must provide to our children. If we try to achieve this in corrective physical discipline only, we're not going to fully be able to teach it, partly because we're just not in the right mind in the moment we have to provide that physical corrective discipline. Even the smartest one among us is not going to be able to achieve that educational thing when you are frustrated and upset, but you have to engage in that correction. That's It's important. I'm not discounting it. It provides a level of education, but it's not the best teaching moment. More than that, resorting only to corrective discipline keeps our focus way too narrow. As the trips say, they, they put it this way, we will miss the big picture, the opportunity to teach the world view. We will miss the chance to provide a culture that explains all of life's choices from a distinctly Christian perspective. So you have to instead work into your life a wonder at the glory of God in all things and his redemption over all things as well. When our children were, were young, we used to take them to um, a lot of zoos and aquariums and these kinds of things. They're wonderful places to be and we've created all kinds of great memories from them. And we would walk along the path in the zoo, or perhaps as we drive back home, remembering this great creature, we would say, and we would see, and we would say to our kids, hey kids, who made these animals? And this is when they're very young, right? So who made these animals? And the answer was, of course, responsive, eventually, God did. And they would, pretty, uh, they would smile pretty quickly because they knew what was coming next. The next question would be, why did God make them? And their response, their, their colloquy, they knew their line, it was, for his own glory. That's part of us teaching our kids in the ordinary things of seeing the orcas in the aquarium or seeing the giraffes from above them, whatever those things are, to point them again to the glory of God that is present in all of their lives, not just at the zoo, but throughout all of life, that they can witness that glory of God as that interpretive framework in their own life. That's an important and, and, and clear thing we have to do. Here's how, here's how the trips put it, and with this I'll close. We do not instruct and disciple our children to make them Christians. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Ultimately, our hope is not that we will get it perfectly right. We, like our children, are part of a fallen race. Each day provides fresh reminders of our failures in need for grace. Our hope as we instruct our children is that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. In God's kind providence, our children are confronted every day with their need for grace to forgive and to empower them to do what is right. Our hope is that the gospel will be the power of God to salvation in their lives as it has been in ours. That is what we're after. We're after pointing our children to Jesus, not merely to correct their behavior for a few minutes at a given day so we can have a few minutes peace around here. Our goal is to keep them uh, not just in preschool for a few more days longer, 
No, we're after their hearts. Identifying the deceitful ways that that organ showing them that the deceitful ways of that organ showing them that the, that they have a need for a heart change so that they would not merely be well behaved but empowered by a holy God to do what is right in service to him. Our goal is not well behaved children. That's a byproduct of our good work as parents. Our goal is to create our sons and daughters to be brothers and sisters in a lifelong relationship with God the Father and our elder brother Christ. Let's go to morning worship.